Welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to talent experts around the world, covering workforce management, market trends, technology, and our forever evolving dynamic industry. I'm your host, Frank Edge, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Subject to Talent. Today, we are sharing with you a very exciting conversation between industry expert Bill Borman and AGS's Executive Director, Global Head of Strategy, Bruce Morton. If you don't know Bill, you should check him out. He's a serial researcher and commentator on market trends, and you'll often find him speaking at the leading recruitment and HR events around the world. In this conversation, Bill and Bruce focus on the shift in recruitment over the years and how this year especially has escalated certain areas in the industry. They dive into how the market has changed for candidates and the way people are going to start rethinking about how the job can be done after unexpectedly working through the new normal. Let's listen in. Hi, everybody. Uh, Great to be here today. And I could not be more excited about today's guest, a man that hardly needs any introduction, uh, Bill Borman, a true legend in our industry. Um, Bill, great for you to uh, speak with you today. Um, please give, say a quick hello and give folks a quick background and what you're up to. Yeah, so first of all, hi, Bruce. It's, it's good, to, good to catch up with you again. Um, yeah, my name is Bill Borman. I'm a best described as a recovering recruiter. I've, I've worked in and around recruiting for um, 35 something years. Uh, I've worked with agency, run and owned a few agencies. I've worked directly with corporate. I've spent the last um, probably 12 years developing uh, initially social recruiting methodology. Now work with technology companies on developing startups. I do a lot of research into what's happening in the market in recruiting and HR in general. Um, And I also run True, which is recruiting unconference, 100 events around the world. So lots of different pieces of work that fit together. I guess the original gig worker, you might call it that. Right, yeah. And I think it was probably a true London conference or HRO today. I think the last time you were together, you and I were together face to face. It was great to see you today. So if as you've been in this industry all of that time and you obviously took a leap of faith to become uh, the person that you are today some years ago, how did you make that decision to say, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own, get out of that staffing agency persona um, and actually really dig in and and add value through research and everything else that you do? Well, I think like um, most of what I've done in my career was without a strategy. So there wasn't like a grand master (laughs) plan. I think what you have to do, the the key word, nowadays we have a term for it, we call it agile. Um, So it's being very agile and aware of what's going on around you and reacting to those opportunities and finding places where you can plug in value in what you do my fortunate thing is i had a very long kind of solid founding in recruiting so i had the mentors i was a trainer and operate board director of a recruitment business we grew to about um, 175 offices before it was sold um, and then i was around and that kind of naturally moved into uh, at the beginning of why i got into social media i guess which became social recruiting which i think is now recruiting um, right. was my office was in my house uh, for the first time 
in I'd, I'd uh, had a trading company that was very successful for six years and very unsuccessful for one of them. I'd gone, I'd gone bust uh, for the first <laughs> time, had nothing to do. And it was round about the same time as Twitter started. Right. So um, I really uh, developed uh, an understanding of social media and connecting purely because I wanted to pretend to my wife I was busy because she would have made me go and <laughs> shell sort of stuff like that, right? So yeah. The best thing to do was to sit on a screen for 18 hours and just start working with organisations, bringing an understanding of this new world of social media into my recruiting background. That overlapped. I did some work with Hard Rock Cafe, won some awards, um, went to Oracle, BBC, a few other places, yeah. and did some work, and then got into involved into working on the actual tech with startups. And from the startups that as I now work with PE companies on larger ticket buys of, of what they want to buy and sit on a few boards. So it's kind of been, it's it's I think it's really identify what the opportunity is of making sure you're 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 well informed well networked you understand right. what's going on so that you can actually yeah. add some value when the when opportunities come up right yeah it's it's uh but i think the overarching plan is putting it out to the universe and just being open to opportunity right people obviously talk about often talk about wow you've had some luck or there's been a lot of great coincidences, but I don't think coincidences are necessarily luck, right? Yeah, well, 80% of what you do is unpaid, but you do it with the same passion, and that generates the 20%. I think this is what it is in the in the yeah. agile world. And, and connecting without purpose was a very new thing. That was something I discovered quite early on, that you just mm. connect with interesting people. You, you see an interesting conversation. In those days, it was Twitter, Facebook, wherever it is, at a conference at an event. There's an interesting conversation. Go and join it and try and add some you know, and, and join it, learn from the people around you, try and have a very broad connection of people that don't look on. Um, and this was coming from the agency world. This was very alien that you weren't networking for directly a financial opportunity, right? It, it wasn't Got just it. about yeah. who are the candidates, who are the clients. It's very interesting. HR people talking about things I didn't know about, interesting technology, people who own jobs. That's what we did with True was bring those people together. So just yeah. people, anyone who's doing anything um, interesting or had an opinion or a view, really just connecting with those people and, and, and yeah. acquiring that knowledge. I right. think you make and a decision right in the beginning of, do I want to make money from my network or because of my network? Mm. And, and my approach has always been because of my network, because of the people yeah. who I know and the connections I make, the knowledge I can acquire, the work that I can research, work I can do in that. That creates opportunity. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice right there. You mentioned social recruiting that now has just become recruiting. I'm assuming you mean by that because all recruiting is social. So can you just expand on that? I've always, it, it's not social recruiting, it's recruiting. This is mm -hmm. the way in which we hire. This is the way in which people connect. This is the way in which we will do HR. I think it goes, much, um, it goes much deeper than the technology or the channels. It's, it, it's the way of work. And, increasingly you know we found it over the last period over the last kind of super interesting year a lot right. of what we've been talking about for you know folks like you and myself and lots of other people we've been talking about for five or ten years being this is the way <laughs> yeah this is going to be the work of the future 
suddenly is, right? Yeah, you know, right. There was a pandemic, people had to work remotely. I think we've been forced five years ahead of where maybe we would have been yeah. by what's going on. Yeah, and I think the uh, we're living through this phenomenal social experiment. Um, and you're right, I think that us awful term, but futurists, well, us folks that like to look around the corner, see what's coming. I think we've we've never predicted the p- pandemic, but we have been predicting the change of the changing world of work, and it's now upon us. It's interesting and challenging at the same time as we have no point of reference. Right. Um, you know, you and I, we we grey haired enough. We've been through four or five recessions, economic mm-hmm. ones, traditional ones. Yep. So we have points of reference. We know roughly what they look like. We never know exactly what they they look like, but we have data points which will give us an indicator of what's recovering and where it's going and, and so yeah. on. So we have experience we can call on, but we've never had a medically induced recession. So and we're right at the beginning of this, let's be honest. We're right at the beginning of this. We might be, hopefully, in some places, they're a bit further ahead on the medical piece, which is mm-hmm. all we're focused on at the minute, which is how does everyone stay alive in, in the most healthy way. We're then going to have the economic impact of that when this is a bit more steady. Maybe that will come. Um, maybe that will come with a vaccine. Maybe it'll be something else. Maybe it'll just it will just disappear one day. Who knows? Whatever will happen, um, you know, we don't have a point of reference. We weren't around for Spanish flu in the eighteenth yeah. century to say, "Oh, it looked a bit like this," and, and the world's a very different place now, anyway. So. We don't really know what it's going to do, but we uh, we can see patterns in work, which I think are becoming really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been more important that we're closer to the data, but the, the, if, if we look purely from a talent acquisition, recruiting viewpoint, what the certain things I'm seeing, one is um, I sit on the board of Volk, um, if you know Volk. Yep. And so part of what I do is, uh, has been throughout this whole period. I, there's two things I do. I have 200 companies that I talk to every week, uh, senior TA folks about what they're doing and where they're going and what they're seeing. Yeah. And my big question in the beginning was when all the jobs disappeared, do you think they're coming back? Or do you think this is actually a, a shift? Um, what we're seeing is jobs alive for periods of time. Um, about 55% of the organisations I track continued to hire during lock, the lockdown period. Um, what happened was face-to-face meetings disappeared. For me, that was I, I spent six months of the year on a plane going somewhere, and I didn't mm-hmm. anymore. I haven't done that. I haven't been, the furthest I've been was down to Canterbury, and I've been out on my couch <laughs> once, you know, so very, very different world. But what happened in recruiting terms was, We've had the digital transformation that we were coveting, which I think is quite exciting. You know, suddenly hiring managers would accept videos instead of face-to-face interview. They would accept doing things digitally. They would look at digital tools for scheduling and understanding uh, and organising the workflow for sourcing. We've had to look at things like talent pools to deal with the volumes because we're getting unprecedented volumes of unqualified people in some places. I think the other big trend that I'm really interested in how it's impacting is if we look back over the last 10, 15 years of data that's available, about 90% of candidates stayed in their sector. They stayed in the same lane because that's okay. where the money was. You, you've got some experience. 
you went and worked for another firm, another company that was similar. It, you, you hopefully went to a different level. You got some more cash, but you stayed in your sector. People didn't really move out of sector. What we've seen is where some sectors have collapsed, some se sectors have boomed, some sectors right now look really sexy, that look really 12 months ago, you know, somewhere yeah. off a bit of security and level yeah. organisation might have looked quite boring 12 months ago and and now is really exciting. So we're seeing lots of candidates switching sectors and we're not really geared for that. Even the technology we've built, algorithms are built um, on building taxonomies based on data from things like CVs or resumes, mm -hmm. which were sector specific. So I think yep. we're going through this phase where, you know, candidates are doing interesting things. I think companies are, are because of the uncertainty and not looking to make long-term commitments to people. It's a lot more short-term. to looking for long-term commitment because of right, uncertainty. Yeah. Because they're coming out of uncertainty. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. We have a whole mesh of stuff going on. Um, what's clear is the time to hire has been cut by at least 50%. Right. Interesting. Um, generally, organizations are one interview higher because yep. all of the pre-interview stuff that was four or five interviews in a pipeline is now being done digitally and a lot more efficiently and, mm -hmm. and a lot quicker. So we've got very different times. I think the other interesting thing, jobs are staying live for no longer than a week. Um, right. A big trend I'm seeing with organizations is because of volume, they are setting a cap on the volume of applications that they receive. So they're at, instead of saying, we're going to let this job run, a lot of it driven by programmatic, but saying, right, okay, once we've got to 50, close it off, take it down. Once right. it looks to 50, we're not looking anymore, which from a candidate point of view, turns that into more of a foot race. Yeah. We were already seeing um, candidates having zero interest in employer brand. This was pre-COVID. Zero mm -hmm. interest in employer brand pre-apply and lots of interest in employer brand post-apply. So it's all yep. very different candidate behaviours to the ones that maybe some of the experts were talking about. Is that still the case now in the books? I've seen you speak about that, and uh, I remember it vividly because it was really enlightening that uh, in the message, I won't do it complete justice, but was stop spending your employer branding money at the top of the funnel. People don't care when they really, really care is when they're actually they're really, they're thinking about applying or they have applied, right? So it's not an attraction. It's more of a it's more of a closing brand. Yeah. So I think that's even that's actually accelerated. You know, at the time. Um, so the talk that I did last year was called "Who Moved My Brand," which was really looking at the fact that candidates were looking at job brand, not at employer brand. You yeah. know, which upset a lot of employer branding gurus, by the way, some of whom you know very well. <laughs> upset a few of them. You've got strong shoulders. I was kind of going, yeah, employer branding is really, um, it's not important for attraction. People aren't following brands in the way that you perceive they are. Um, and the reasons for that are pretty simple. When we looked at research, so I did some research through um, an ATS called uh, Olio, where we tracked the journeys of 7 million candidates, 7 million applications to see what they did um, in order right. to put a, a white paper together. And what was uh, and the big things that came out of that, first of all, was of those 7 million people who applied for a job, 
it was 0.5% that went into the top of the funnel. So right. if you just do the math on that, 99.5% of the people we attracted yeah. were, um, for whatever reason, not qualified, not, significant, not able to go into yeah. the funnel. So which told me we were doing a really bad job of attraction for a start. Mm -hmm. You know, We were attracting all the people who were never going to work for us and none of the people who right. were, <laughs> were still made in the way we were doing it. Um, and the other thing that – so then when we looked at the candidate behaviours, the candidates were applying for eight times more jobs pre-COVID. Um, it's now running on about 24, you know, so that's mm -hmm. been the COVID impact. Right. What I'm tracking, um, we're applying for eight times more jobs than they've ever done before. Um, and the reason, and they were doing that on a very basic criteria, uh, location, salary, job title was very important. Uh, really in terms of should I apply for this job or not, the process is going to be paid for. I know it is. When I hit this button, I'm going to be made to do stuff I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the candidates were saying to me, and I really can't argue with it, was they were saying, I'm almost definitely not going to hear back. Yeah. I'm almost definitely not going to hear it. Right? Yeah. So I'm not going to invest a lot of emotional time and physical mm. time into a job when I'm probably not going to hear back. But the moment you reach out and go, yeah, actually, I'm interested. Um, then the amount of time they spent looking at employer ban was greater than they would have done had they done the research. Because once you go, I'm interested, they're right now I'll get engaged in that process. Got it. Yeah. Um, and that's happening even more now um, mm. because of COVID. What you're seeing is the volume significantly increasing, job application becoming a foot reach. Yeah. Uh, less and less time to be successful which means less and less time researching companies. But once I've hit that apply button, right. um, your challenge is how do I become the employer of choice? Right. Because I've applied for eight jobs. Now, if I'm a good yeah. candidate and I'm going to the funnel of five, two of you are coming out of that very quickly. You're starting getting ghosted or... Yeah. So uh, now you've I'm chosen me, am I going to choose you, right? Now I'm going to choose you. So now I'm going to do my research. Yeah. So that means delivering lots of um, content and messaging through the lens of the job rather than the lens of the company. So it isn't look at us. Right. What we're going to see is um, what attracts people to organisations is actually learning and development content, not employer brand content. Places right. where people yeah. can learn things. Yeah. Because when you're moving companies every couple of years, you're not on that learning path of every couple of years you get sent on a course. So our traditional learning has disappeared. So people are staying connected for learning content, not for employer brand. Um, right. And that gives you an opportunity to understand what they're interested in, to assess them. Um, and so what I think we're going to see is L&D and talent acquisition becoming a single function. Um, and I think that's going to happen sooner rather than right. later. We might not even call it either of those things. We might call it people or whatever yeah. term the marketing gurus come up with. But I think you're going to see, and you will see internal mobility increasingly, um, internal mobility going into talent acquisition. Where we're at right now is as internal mobility goes into talent acquisition, in talent acquisition, we're still dealing with it in a transactional way. So right. we're still looking at if we get a job to fill, 
we look at our internal candidate base, we're still matching it on who can do the job today. Mm-hmm. And we're measuring people in that way. You know, they, you, you yeah. go into an ATP, you go from being a candidate to being an applicant. That's a very different thing. When you become an applicant, you're being measured against a specific job or a specific requirement. Right. We're still dealing with internal mobility like that. Um, whereas I think as we combine with L&D, we will be looking at not just where can you go today, but where could you go in a year's time and what do we have to do to fill that up? What are the development activities? What's the match? Yeah, we yeah, we see a lot of, you know, the, the smarter organisations, let's say, glibly, um, actually finding that, you know, sending the work out to the people as opposed to the other way around. What I mean by that is creating an in-house gig economy, to use that phrase, of what work do you need to get done? Well, promote that to your employee base and give them an opportunity to, you know, reach out and, you know, grab that work as a stretch assignment or else. Yeah, you know, I think there's there's work marketplaces, there's work rather than yeah. jobs. Yeah. There's looking at things as assignments, learning opportunities, think, understanding that each career has a length of time right. which suits both sides by the way yeah it's both sides the, the yeah. main so, barrier we have to all of this at the minute when it comes to internal mobility is politics in organizations so mm-hmm. the biggest barrier that i see is when people say to me oh i'm really into internal mobility as long as it's done with my people yeah that's right you're not given the opportunity you know for old gray head recruiters like us you call it the top draw um yeah. It's not new. This isn't new. This isn't a new thing. Just a private private database now. <laughs> so I have to ask you this, Bill. So um, with all of that talk of employer branding, so there's not a day goes by, I'm sure it's the same in the UK, but here in the US where large, typically large tech companies are announcing you don't need to ever come back or we want you back, but not till next June. This is a big value add. And then we see research. Some people want to get back to the office, others don't. What? What's? I know, I know the answer is sort of both, but do you see that being part of a value prop going forward? Companies saying, "Hey, we're going to let you work from home full time, or it's your choice." Or um, it's as soon as they make it a value prop, it won't be a value prop, right? Because this is my experience. Right? So companies are super tankers; they take a long time to change. It's been a bit forced by COVID. I accept that. There's some things going on which might have taken three or four years. But companies are super tagged. If you want to change, you have to go through eight levels of permission finishing at Voldemort before you can make a, a decision. It finishes in your C-suite. Um, people change what they want very, very quickly. People are agile. Organisations are not. So what I've learned is as soon as we um, – and I just gave you the example of employer brand. Companies have only just now started getting their employer branding strategy right in terms of how they present themselves, and it's not what the candidates want anymore, <laughs> right? So yeah. it, it's always this race of yeah. the people are ahead of the way the organisations are. So do I think it's going to become part of the value proposition of where people want to work? No more so than other locations. I think you will – it. What it, what it comes down to is much more understanding about the individual. And the biggest mistake I've seen over this period of time is that people have gone remote and all they've tried to do is move the office to your front room. Right. Really, that's all they've done. You know, their, their expectation, their method of working, their method of your method of measuring you and managing you. The other 
I'll tell you the thing that I see really missing from remote working that I think is a piece we need to think around is everything has become planned when it's digital. So every phone call that you have, every interaction, every Zoom meeting you go on is very structured, very planned. This is what it is. This is what time it is. If we agree we need to have a conversation, you send me an appointment for a week's time when we're going to have that conversation. And, blah, blah, blah. Yep. and the thing, the thing I, I think we're missing, and I'm missing this on two accounts. One is working, and the other one is life, life in general. I think I happen to think those two things are the same thing. But um, what's missing is the creativity of accidental engagement. So right. All engagement is deliberate when you're digital. Mm-hmm. In yep. this digital world, and when you're remote, all engagement is deliberate. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a conversation. And you can say, oh, well, when we were at HRO today or at True, I can guarantee you we learned more from that conversation in the pub. Totally. For an hour than we probably yep. did in the conference for the whole day. Yep. Right? Um, yeah, that's so, gone. And that's gone. And that's also not in work. People aren't, there isn't accidental gatherings. There isn't that yeah. creativity. And I yeah. think that's the bit that's really missing that we've got. And, you know, I I laughed, but how many people, you know, tried to create a Zoom happy hour or a hangout in order to look busy? They would like, <laughs> you know, I was getting invited to all the, I, I, I did a whole load of stuff. Um, with the homeless during lockdown. So yeah. I was really busy during that period. I was out and about doing stuff. And um, I was getting invited like 20 times a day to come and hang out with someone. And I'm like, I'm too busy to come. And, <laughs> and sometimes that's when the magic happens, right? And that's when the creativity happens. And if you try, it's kind of like having a networking session. When you make it a digital networking session, it becomes forced networking, mm-hmm. right? Um and I think that's like being at the beginning of a training course and somebody says, oh, tell us three lies. Tell us three facts about yourself, Bruce, and one of them's true yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And you always think, yeah, that's really funny, but I'm probably not going to use that in my dog. Um, we're not, you know, go and talk to 10 people in this room and you're like, yeah, I really don't want to go and speak to nine of them. So <laughs> I'll go and do it because that's what we yeah. have to do, right? Um, right. I think we've got to really rethink that piece. How right. do we get? How do we get accidental engagement and conversation and socialising again when only six of us can sit around the table? You're right. So um, we're coming up to time here, and you and I could chat all day, of course. But um, hopefully, people are enjoying the back to back here. But I'm uh, learning a ton, um, and I want to finish on, I guess. And I know that you're so passionate, and you just mentioned it, and. Uh, it was really inspiring following you, as I do, um, with the amount of work that you were doing for the homeless there in Northampton. And I mean, literally hats off to you. Phenomenal, phenomenal and uh, really inspiring. But as you think about that side of your personality, about the caring side, the empathy and giving back and everything else, do you see any examples of enterprises, organizations really actioning real work and effort and energy to try and uh, reduce the opportunity divide? Or are you still 
I know everybody's passionate, everybody's talking about it, but are you seeing it happen yet? And an enterprise has to move with the will of the people at the end of the day, not necessarily in a in a unionized way, but when we talk about it, um, you know, organizations trying to be the good guys eventually might accidentally become the good guys. Kind of how I see it, you know, with CSR, like, oh, we better go and do something because we want people to apply for a job for us. So, and when you go and do that, that changes some people and they accidentally do it. You know, what, what's I think changed me from personal experiences, I've got two things I've never had. One is I had time. I would never have done the stuff that I've done um, in normal life because I just wouldn't have had time. And we right. had the privilege of time and we had an opportunity to go and do something with that so I could go and do. And I think what we've got to do is turn our, um, what I did is turn from angry Facebook it's to say, I personally need to do something about this problem. Right. And yeah. I never dreamt it was going to be on my doorstep. Mm. It was going to be like in my local area and I was going to yeah. get in my car and go out and feed and cook for people in my kitchen and go out and feed people, right? Or that I would yeah. ever have time. I was always going to be the guy who was on a committee or raising money or raising awareness or right. doing that kind of stuff. Um so we've had the opportunity to do that, and that's what I'm seeing with people is we've had a period, lockdown, all that kind of thing, where there's been more good done for other people and people bothering about their neighbour. And I'll, I'll give you a real simple example of that. I was on a podcast to this, but it was a charity. The guy's was from um, Age Concern, and he said the thing lockdown brought, self-isolation of being locked away, was this is actually how our customer group lives their life. They're isolated. They're alone. This is the first time ever neighbours have bothered to see whether they need some food. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So I think some of that um, good of your fellow man and mobility and maybe um, what's important in life, I, I think what's going to have a bigger impact actually on work and all kinds of things, which will be a result of lockdown, is – the lockdown experience of people being at home and being with their family as a family for a period of time. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's going to have a bigger impact than anything on, on our attitude to what work right. we do, how I talk about myself and say, you know, how often am I going to get on a plane again when I can necessarily? I travel six months of the year, you know? Yep. So when I talk to people, there's, there's obviously lots of, uncertain things about this period of time. Yeah. And I think we will actually, what we've learned is our content and our formal part of conferences is actually much better delivered digitally in right. smaller bite-sized sessions. I think right. our whole, if I look at half the conferences that I've spoken at a whole load of them, I think the digital experience for the the learning and the content, the opportunity to re-watch mm -hmm. the speaker and do what you want, has been much better digitally. I don't think we'll ever go back from that. Right. Yeah. Uh, what we will never be able to get away from is the excuse for you, me, and a bunch of other people wanting to be in London and having a few beers and actually really learning our expanding, fixing recruiting for one evening. Yeah. On that note, Bill, I think it's a good point to wrap up. Hopefully the next time I see you, it will be. Um, I just want to say some, one thing. <laughs> yeah, I just want to tell everyone to buy your book. It was oh, a very good read. Oh, thanks, Bill. He even I made me buy it, and I wrote an introduction, <laughs> so there you go. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time today as always. Uh, great, pleasure. great pleasure. We've learned Good a ton to today. Thanks, Bill. Thank you to Bill and Bruce for a brilliant conversation. If you would like to learn more about Bill, please visit him at billborman.com. And if you'd like to learn more about AGS, please check us out at allegisglobalsolutions.com. If you have any questions for Bill or Bruce, feel free to tweet us at allegisglobal with the hashtag subject to talent. Also, you can email us at subject to talent at allegisglobalsolutions.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us and leave a review. Until next time, cheers.